Hello everyone, I am Adrian Beck and I'm very excited to be bringing you another takeover episode for Words and Nerds. Thank you so much to Danny V for letting me take the wheel. I'm not quite sure <laughs> why she's agreed to this, but she has, so we'll keep going. Uh, this third takeover that I've been able to do in recent times is with one of my favourite mates in the kid-lit scene. Uh, you might know him from a little series called Real Pigeons. It's Andrew <laughs> McDonald. Andrew McDonald, welcome to Words and Nerds in this special takeover episode. Oh, it's really exciting to be here. How are you, Adrian? I'm going well. I'm excited to hear a little bit more about the 10th book in the series and for us to sort of trade notes about uh, writing junior fiction and all that sort of thing. Yes. Well, we both have new releases on the bookshelves at the moment, which is really exciting. You've got Furball out there doing his thing. Uh, <laughs> and yeah, we're up to we're up to book number 10 in the Real Pigeon series, which uh, feels really surreal. And there's feelings of pride and, um, and, and fear, of course, when you release a new book, you're not sure how it's going to go, how how kids will receive it, um, whether they'll receive it at all. <laughs> um, <laughs> But it's really, it's really exciting. And of course, Christmas kind of coming up and, you know, lots of, lots of Christmas books being in the shops and the books, book, every bookshop that I go into at the moment is full of books. I've got all their Christmas stock there and it's just a, a really good place to be in a bookshop right now. I noticed you today, uh, speaking of uh, bookshop visits, I noticed you did a night market or similar recently. That would have been fun. Yeah, we, we, uh, we've, we've made friends with um, lovely Mira who runs the Eltham bookshop. Uh, in Melbourne's north, uh, and uh, they they have the Eltham Twilight Christmas Market kind of happening on their back doorstep, and so Mira said, "Hey Andrew and Ben, uh, do you want to come down and just stand in front of a table and say hi to people as they pass by?" So we weren't quite sure what to expect, but it turned out to be a really lovely kind of hour or so because Ben brought his uh, his cardboard and um, easel and basically just drew pigeons for an hour <laughs> and that was that and that was great and you know people stopped by to look at pigeons and ask about pigeons and and tell us their stories about <laughs> pigeons which is always one of the benefits <laughs> of writing about of crime fighting pigeons uh and and by the end i was like all right ben i got a request i want uh this character from book three i want beardy vulture or or do you remember how to draw the stick insect the stickler from book seven can you do that on on kind of like demand right now and he's I mean, Ben Wood's an amazing illustrator for a number of reasons, but he, he, his recall is amazing. He could draw them uh, kind of instantly and mm. really quickly. Uh, so it was really fun. That's um, great. I love it how it sounds like at one point, instead of the kids asking for requests, you were just like, hey, Ben, draw me this, draw me that. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, I just, I went around the other side of the table and started putting in my requests. Um yeah, it was, it was a little bit like we were there as authors and illustrators, but also like we were just pigeon busking. <laughs> I love it. I love it. And can I just say, as a public service announcement, Andrew never gets sick of talking about pigeons, the the animals, the creatures, the birds. He just loves anything to do with pigeons. So please, <laughs> whenever you see him, dispense with all small talk and just go straight to the pigeon talk. Is that fair, Andrew? I mean, I think they're replacing small talk with pigeon talk generally in all facets of life. <laughs> 
is a winning a winning strategy. I think it is. Um, but it, it's, a, it's actually amazing. Every time I go out to a school or you do a festival and we're talking about real pigeons, I'll get to the end of the presentation and somebody will have a pigeon story to share with me. And sometimes it's the kids or the teachers. But um, a couple of months ago, I was at a school in Melbourne and the, um, the guy who was doing the kind of tech support for the uh, event came up to me and was like, look, I've got, there's a pigeon in my front yard and we hate each other. And every morning I walk outside and it looks at me and I look at it and we glare at each other and we have that moment of hate. And then we get on with our days. And, and I was, and I, I love it. I love the conversations that this series kind of um, brings out. I love the- that. <laughs> it's almost like they think that you're going to give them some advice on how to deal with this, uh, you know, pigeon arch rival in the front yard or something. Yeah, a pigeon insider. I, I of course, have no real training in, you know, the art of pigeons or scientific <laughs> <Pigeonry>. training. <laughs> no pigeon training either. No, as fun as that would be. Um, but what about you? Do you, now that you're um, the author illustrator of Furball, um, that fabulous uh, spy cat that he is, are people coming up to you with either kind of like spy stories or cat stories? <laughs> um, not, not so much spy stories, occasionally cat stories, but what I get a lot in schools is there's a lot of what I, I sort of underestimated this there's a lot of rivalry between cat people and dog people mm. it's sort of and, and i sort of just thought well there's a lot of dog books so i'll do a cat book you know and my daughter loves cats so it was kind of it was kind of a uh, easy decision to make in the end <laughs> but then i get into the schools and and you know you start talking about cats and people put their hand up and go yeah but i like dogs <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> you can like dogs as well. That's okay. You can like dogs. You can like pigeons. You can like whatever you want to like. That's fine. So uh, I thought uh, the rivalry between cats and dogs, Andrew, it's real. Hey, um, Andrew, for those that uh, might not be sure or haven't, I don't know, maybe they've been living their lives in some sort of state where they haven't come across the most amazing new junior fiction series in the last few years. Could you tell us a little bit more about what the pigeons are all about, how they fight crime, how they go about their business? Yeah, so real pigeons are a gang of four, five, I should say, pigeons, uh, Rock and Frillback and Tumblr and Homie, the homing pigeon, uh, and and the old pigeon that gets them all together, Grand Powder, um, who's on the cover of the of the brand new book. He's got some slime dripping down towards his head, if you've seen <laughs> yeah, that cover during the rounds. Yes. Um, and these pigeons uh, have decided that pigeons are actually the ultimate crime-fighting um, animals out there because they're fast, they have amazing eyesight, better than human eyesight, uh, and they're everywhere. So they see everything, including all crimes. And so they are the self-appointed kind of guardians of the city. They protect everyone from, from the other pigeons in the city through to the humans. Uh, and they um, they all have different personalities. And it's, it's really silly. Um, really silly stories, but each story uh, in a real pigeons book is a mystery. And so there's always something at stake um, for the pigeons to kind of investigate and work through. And so it's um, it's been really fun and we're up to book 10 now and we've just been really lucky um, to get some get some kind of readers uh, who have enjoyed the books and kind of like come along um, on the journey with us and, and are still reading the books of book number 10. Um, and it's, it's, it's a really special thing. And um, I, I went full-time um, writing a couple of years ago, uh, which 
felt really, really lucky and really special. And and really is thanks to um, Real Pigeons being kind of embraced by readers and families and and schools and librarians. Um, and 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 Ben and I are still kind of on that on our pigeon journey together, which is um, a lot of fun. And I, I should mention that Ben Wood is a is kind of half of um, half of Real Pigeons. It's it's very much a joint um, proposition between the two of us. Um, I'm 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 writing the stories. He's illustrating the stories. But there's a lot there's a lot of back and forth between us. Um, it's a, it's a it's a real creative collaboration. And uh, if if Ben reads a manuscript and says, "Oh, that's funny," but what about this joke uh, and that joke's better, then that joke goes into the books. So it's a it's a very kind of um, very open, fluid um, kind of working towards the strongest strongest story, best joke, greatest character arc, um, no matter where it comes from. Kind of approach that we have to real pigeons, um, and it's it's yeah, it's just been awesome. Yeah, look, it, it has been awesome. And you say you're lucky, but it's also a testament to how much effort you've put into the books, making them as good as they can possibly be. And and I, I like to think that when you put out great art like this, you know, it finds an audience. And so um, you are lucky, yes, absolutely. But you've also put in a lot of hard work and come up with a terrific series as well. So um, I think it's it's no accident. Um, but you talk about talking with Ben, uh, working with Ben Wood all this time, the 10 books. And if correct me if I'm wrong, there's three stories of books, that are 30 stories, basically, that you've written up till now and probably plenty more to come. We'll ask about that in a sec. But um, has the process changed uh, from when you first started working with Ben? Uh, has it sort of evolved along the way? And um, are you sort of both in the same room or are you separated a lot? Or how does that all work? It has changed uh, because when I wrote Real Pigeons, when I, f- I wrote those first few stories, uh, I, I didn't know Ben. We were introduced by our publisher, Hardy Grant. And they they'd worked with both of us in the past, and they put us together, and it was um, it was just kind of great chemistry from the very beginning. We both kind of had a we we're both really different people in many ways, but um, our, our sense of humor and what we like to do in stories and with characters is all really really aligned. Um, if I if I have a, a character who's going to run around in their underpants, Ben's like great, and let's put love hearts on those underpants, <laughs> uh, and it just it just works really well. And so um, to begin with, Ben was just looking at manuscripts that I uh, was writing, um, but very quickly that um, that uh, relationship it changed, and Ben and I started talking directly to each other quite a lot. And 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 we'll kind of um, look at it and review kind of the work that we're both doing on a book. Uh, so I'm I'm still I mean primarily writing the stories and Ben's still primarily drawing. I mean I'm clearly not drawing anything because they the books look amazing. Um, but there's there's a lot of crossover. Like we call each other the co-creators of Real Pigeons because mm. that's that's kind of like a, a true thing. Um, I didn't I didn't create Real Pigeons and, and then Ben illustrates the books. It's it's very much something that um, would be completely different if it was just one of us working on the series, um, and. And and the, the the it's such a joy to work with Ben. Um, and kind of we have like a just a big kind of like dialogue on our phones, messages, um, sending sending each other bird memes and pigeon memes. Um, it's it's yeah, it's it's really rewarding actually doing it with somebody else and getting to do events together as well is mm. is awesome. Mm. Um, but it, it you know I think if you 
the the one thing that I would kind of take out of having like a, a really tight creative collaboration with Ben is that it's so good to have somebody that you can that you trust creatively and and the, I think this probably applies more broadly with author editor relationships or author publisher or illustrator publisher relationships having somebody that you can trust to kind of take a manuscript to and be like I'm not sure about this what do you think about this uh, and and to get kind of like the honest um, feedback which is designed to improve the final product is um i think it's invaluable and, and ben and i are really lucky to kind of have each other in that sense because i think we're both good at um critically looking at um and words and illustrations and, and working towards a kind of greater good together mm, yeah absolutely and um you mentioned in there before um and <laughs> in fact i think you've said it to me we, every so often we catch up for a coffee on the main streets of Brunswick. And um, I was talking to you about Furball. This was a few, quite a few months ago now. Um, and you were saying, I can't believe you drew it. And I said, well, I was kind of the arty kid at school. And I just sort of stopped being the arty man, I guess. Um, I just sort of stopped drawing. But you said, hey, but I was the arty kid too. So, yeah. so um, you know, when you first came up with pigeons, did you drew, drew some sketches of the pigeons of what you had, how you had them in mind? And did you ever, you know, have the <laughs> courage to show them to Ben? Or how did that all work when you're kind of coming up with characters? And, and did your arty side ever play a part in the creation of the real pigeons? My arty side still plays a big role in in my writing process, in my, in my creative process. So my notebooks are full of little sketches, uh, sometimes of pigeons or just, you know, uh, background background things or just kind of like working out like angles of things in my mind. I'm a, I'm a really visual thinker like that. Uh, and Ben, for the most part, never sees any of these kind of like doodles that I do because I'd be so embarrassed to show him <laughs> kind of how I'm thinking through the stories by, you know, drawing his pigeons. Uh, but yeah, I was an arty kid. I, sp I spent so much time. Uh, I spent probably like a 50-50 time at primary school writing stories and then illustrating them. I print them out. I do the illustration. I staple them together. Uh, and, you know, the satisfaction of kind of turning your story and, you know, the concept in your idea uh, the idea in your head, I should say, and and putting it into a um, some paper and stapling it together and making it a finished product yourself, like that is that is so satisfying. It's it's satisfying now seeing the book kind of come back to the, from the printers like that, all finished and glued up, uh, and it was satisfying back then, kind of like having that finished thing that you could then take and show your neighbor and show your grandparents and um, kind of put you know on your on your bookshelf with all the other books that you um, that you love. Um, I think that's a really kind of key part of uh, working on working on books, and and I would you know I go out and talk to schools um, and and talk to the kids, and I say you know who here loves writing and, and illustrating, and lots of them put their hands up, and I say and who likes to make their own books as well, and a lot of the time a lot of them do, like mm. they're doing this, they're making their own books um, and finishing it off. It's like a it's like this is the kind of the beauty of the book is that it can really simply be a finished product just by stapling it together, doing your own illustrations. Um, you can't, you kind of can't do that um, with that. A lot of technical know-how if you're making music on your computer, or even if you're like baking something in your kitchen, a different kind of creativity, you need lots of ingredients and equipment to do that. And, and, you know, parental oversight a lot of the time mm. when you're just starting out um, books, you can write a story on the bus or on the toilet. You can illustrate <laughs> it in your bedroom, on your bed, and a couple of staples, and you've got a finished piece of art. Um, that's the that's the beauty of a book. Uh, so I remember doing that a lot when I was a kid, 
and and drawing and I've, I've never really stopped drawing i'm uh, i have to explain this when i show my notebooks at schools uh and kids are like oh why have you got these drawings in here and and i did uh, it's funny that you allude to whether I tried to draw pigeons myself at the start <laughs> of the process. I did. Did you? And I did. Yeah. yeah. I will. Um, and and Ben Ben laughs about it when um, when, I, when we talk about it because he's seen them. They're very bad. Uh, <laughs> the my 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 pigeons look a little bit like chicken drumsticks with eyes, uh, and um, really really horrible. Uh, well, at, at any point, at any point, did, were you thinking to yourself, maybe I could actually uh, illustrate the whole book myself? Was there a, a, even just for you know a moment? Did you think maybe I could be like author illustrator of this thing? Yeah, I probably had that moment really early on because I was like, oh, you know, I used to draw all the time when yeah. I was a kid. I wonder if I can still do that. Uh, but I think that I probably stopped drawing maybe a lot at the end of year six, maybe the transition to secondary school kind of like acted as a bit of a natural break. And um, I, my, 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 my skills, my technical skills with drawing probably are still kind of like grade six level. Um, and so I, I can draw, but I can't draw to a professional level uh, like, like you and Ben can. And so it would, it would have been so much work to try to even get up to speed. And, you know, it's so much more efficient for Ben and I to, to work together and for me to write and for him to illustrate. And we can kind of get a book done in six months um, with, with him kind of doing that at a different time to me doing the the writing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I mean, I'm so, I'm so curious how it worked for you. Like, did you, when you decided that you wanted to illustrate Furball, did you, was there a moment where you were like, I'm not sure whether I can or not? And did you have to kind of prove to yourself that you could? Yeah, absolutely. I reckon right up till the end of, of illustrating the book one, I was wondering whether I could actually get this done and whether I was deluding <laughs> myself and, you know, yeah. am I am I kidding myself? Um, will I ever get to the ending? Uh, and because... It's a, obviously, you know, it's an obvious thing to say, but you read books a lot quicker than you create books, um, uh, particularly with pe- pictures. Like uh, often they look, you know, they they look like fun scribbles and cartoons and stuff. And you think, oh, that's fun. That's pacey. That kind of got a lot of energy and you flick the page sort of thing. But there's hours of work that goes into that one page. It's um, uh, and you sort of know that, but uh, until you actually sit down there and do it, it doesn't really, it didn't really hit home to me as much. Um, but yeah, I definitely, I wasn't sure I could do it, but I had been sending in, occasionally I'd been sending in pitches to, uh, publishers with a couple little, possibly similar to your pigeons, a couple little, um, sketches of what I think the lead characters would be like. Right. Um, and I thought to myself, right, I'm going to do the same thing with Furball when I sent that off. And, um, I remember having a couple of meetings and we had a meeting with the, uh, the wonderful people at Larrikin who had ended up going to, and, uh, right at the end, I remember them saying, um, um, okay, well, look, we, uh, let, we're going to have some meetings, but, um, we're really excited about this and, you know, we'll, uh, we'll get back to you all that sort of publisher speak sort of thing. And, um, and then they hadn't mentioned the pictures and the illustrations at all whatsoever. And so right at the end, I'm like, hmm, uh, I wonder what their, they plan for this is. So I said, so I just sort of snuck in. I said, so, uh, yeah, are you happy with the look of the characters sort of thing? And they said, yeah, yeah, they look great. Terrific. We'll catch up with you next week. Blah, blah, blah. And then the meeting was <laughs> over. I'm like. I think I'm doing this. I think I think I'm going to be illustrating this series. Um, so um, yes, to answer your question, uh, I was not sure I could do it, and um, I thought I'd bitten off a bit more than I could chew at times. But I'm so 
glad that I have now because I look back at it and I think, oh, that was that was so much fun. And I, I guess it's a bit like, I don't know whether you're a visual storyteller or more a words first kind of guy, but I'm, I think maybe you're visual given that you do all your illustrations, but um, uh, I'm definitely visual first. So I see everything I've written as sort of a movie or a film or, or, or a TV show or something like that. So I can I picture the scenes um, when I'm writing, uh, whether you know it doesn't matter what the format of the book is. I always picture the scene, um, so it's terrific to be able to take that directly out of my brain and just plonk it on the page. It was actually it was actually really fun, and also it helps you. It, it actually helps your writing because um, it's interesting that you say that there's there's a lot of um, uh, collaboration with you and Ben, which which makes sense to me because there's a lot of collaboration with me, the author and me, the illustrator, even though I don't, I don't still not sure I should be able to call myself illustrator. But um, when I, you should, you should <laughs> when I write, when I write the, what I call the script and then I'll take it to the page, I'll notice that I can almost half what's been written. I can just shave off so many words because a lot of the story is being told through the visuals. And, um, you know, if you were, if I was working with a traditional sort of author, um, illustrator relationship, I'd probably, as the illustrator, I'd probably say, hey, <laughs> do you think we need yeah. that sentence there? Very, very politely. But when it's just yourself, you can be brutal with yourself and you can just say, right, we only need one word here or we only, you know, we can change that. Or um, even sometimes, you know, gee, I can't, I can't draw a bicycle. I'm going to have to make that a scooter. I'll just change that in the text, <laughs> that sort of thing. <laughs> Are bicycles your Achilles heel? Do you, do you have trouble with bicycles? What, what's the last thing you would want to draw? Oh, look, crowds are the worst. Crowd scenes are the worst. And I was looking through um, number 10, Real Pigeons number 10, and there are a couple of crowd scenes in here. And I was just taking note of how many uh, you put in there for Ben to draw. But <laughs> but um, <laughs> crowd scenes are, are a little bit of a tricky one. But um, yeah, and then I know. crowd scenes in, in Real Pigeons. There are, because in, they're in famous. Because the pigeons find themselves, yeah, in in the spotlight, they they find themselves famous, and you know, a pigeon's great strength in terms of crime fighting is that they are kind of ignored by everyone, <laughs> and so they can kind of go about their their jobs, their very important jobs, yeah. without being observed. And so that was a perfect kind of inversion of that to make them suddenly seen by everyone, and yeah. you know that that essentially kind of like operates as the the big challenge for the pigeons to overcome in that book. Um, but yeah, Ben did raise his eyebrows when he saw <laughs> how many crowd scenes were going to be in there. And you're like, they're um, famous. They've got to be crowds. They're famous. <laughs> I would say um, I was worried about bikes, to be honest, because um, Jules Faber, who's a wonderful illustrator of Weirdo and many other things, he once uh, was going on, uh, on online talking about the things that he finds hardest to draw. And I think he mentioned bikes. And I'd never considered drawing bikes before that. And then I thought to myself, uh, Furball 2 is set... Um, on a, uh, a motorbike championship, uh, and Furball goes undercover as a as the you know a great motorbike rider. Um, <laughs> so there's a lot of evil Knievel sort of feel about it. But there's heaps of motorbikes, which are essentially uh, very similar to drawing you know uh, your traditional bike. Um, yeah. And so I found myself drawing lots and lots and lots of bikes. Um, and I sort of went into that thinking, well. I'd heard that Jules says it's hard to draw bikes. I haven't drawn that many ever before, but I'll give it a crack. And yeah, it turns out it is hard to draw bikes. <laughs> and I can tell you, he won't be going on another bike expedition anytime soon. There'll be no undercover operation at the Tour de France. Let me just tell you that. <laughs> 
And that's what will make that book special is his, <laughs> his one adventure on the motorbike. That's right. Um, yes. He'll never, he'll never be returning to that. Hey, I wanted to ask what, you about something we had in common too, if you don't mind. Yeah. Um, I noticed, and I think this is really cool that you've done this. I noticed at the back of Real Pigeons 10, uh, you've got almost like um, a credits page in a movie. You've got uh, the publisher, the editorial production, and also the designer, who I think is possibly uh, our secret weapon because she was the designer on Furball. And also I see here, she's the designer on Real Pigeons. Her name is Christy Lund White. She's an absolute legend. Um, for those that aren't sure, what sort of role does a designer play in these in these books? Um, because I wasn't sure until, <laughs> until we started working together. <laughs> yeah, Christy is amazing. She's a genius. And she's been working on Real Pigeons with us from the start. She, uh, I mean, I guess the most obvious thing is that she designed the Real Pigeons logo. I presume that she designed the Furball she logo did. as well. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, and so she designs the logo uh, and she does a lot of kind of like, I mean, Ben does the artwork and, and you've done the artwork for Furball on the cover. Um, but Christy kind of packages it and puts it together and puts different colors in the background and, and goes through her own kind of quite involved creative process from what I can tell hmm. to work out and, and and done in collaboration with the publishers as well, I should mention, um, to work out the best way to actually feature the artwork and the logo and the text and what kind of font the authors and illustrators' names are going to be in. And and that's just the front cover. And then the internals, Christy for us does um all the all the text, all the fonts, all the words in different fonts from little dialogue uh lines to captions with arrows. Um, she does uh, a, a lot of that and um, a, a lot of that. She does all of that. <laughs> yeah. um, and she, and she works really closely with, um, with, um, with Heidi Grant and, and with Ben as well to make sure that, you know, everything is kind of working on the page. But um, I, I, I credit Christy enormously with kind of like making real pigeons just kind of jump off the shelf. I think that the, the covers of all the books are incredible. I think that the first cover, I mean, people, some, you know, people have asked me, you know, why, why do you think that Real Pigeons has, um, has resonated? Uh, and I, I don't, my answer is, and my true answer is, I don't know. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm really thankful for it. I, I suspect that it, it sells itself really well. Like you look at the cover and you kind of know exactly what you're in for. And Ben's pigeons are hilarious. That helps as well. Um, but, but, you know, it's got a great logo. and We've been able to reproduce that Real Pigeons logo on all the kind of bookmarks and marketing collateral and the website, uh, making it really kind of instantly um, recognizable. You don't need to read the words. You just see the logo and you're like, ah, oh, that's the Real Pigeons logo. <laughs> um and and Christy's done a great job with furball as well. I love how furry the lettering is on the on the front cover. <laughs> what did you what did you learn about the role of a designer with the with the cover and the internals when you were working on furball? Christy was great to work with because um, she was very open to collaboration. I would imagine that um, you'd get all 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 sorts in the on in terms of designers. Some people would be like, "Just leave me alone. I want to do it my way." Okay, mate. <laughs> and yeah. then you get others that are like, hey, "Any ideas you've got, just throw them." Out. And I just went, I just went for it. I just threw her as a million ideas, and and she was very politely said, "Oh yes, thank you very much. That's great. Let me have a look at it." <laughs> so uh, so she was very patient with me. But that was great. I kind of learned that um there's not only is you tell are you telling a story with the words and pictures you're telling a story with the layout as well that's what that's what i loved about the pigeons getting back to the pigeons is when the first book came out and yes it has a great logo great cover and all that you need all that but also when i opened it up 
it's just it's just so it looks it looks fun. You don't even read a word. You just look at the layout, and it just looks fun. And you just want to. It's sort of inviting you into that world. If you imagine the camera, it's right up high, or it's right down low, or it's it's just uh, all the angles he uses just make it so epic. It's it gives the books uh, a really cinematic feel. Like you really feel like you're kind of like watching a watching a movie. Um, I mean, and there's lots of different kind of visual and and genre kind of tributes in the books. Um, and the fact that it looks like and and Ben, like if you look at the um, especially the chapter openers in Real Pigeons, they often um, based on on kind of like you know really well known scenes from movies. Like mm. you know, I think in book Indiana two we Jones. have a. <laughs> yeah, Indiana Jones. We've got a, a, a um, tribute to Indiana, Indiana Jones in the new one, and and I was going to say, book two has a an evil ostrich, and of course, there's a big ostrich foot coming down in a kind of T Rex style into <laughs> yeah. the mud um, yeah. at the very start of that story. Um, <laughs> and I think all of this kind of like kind of goes to the fact that, and this is what I kind of like really love about my job is that I'm always keeping kids in mind. I'm always thinking about the end reader, and that's you know the way that I write for kids. Uh, but the kids are always front and for, um, foremost in my mind. And I think that's probably natural, especially when you're writing for kids who are, you know, at the start of their reading journey and might be learning to read. I know that there's um, been some kids, you know, you know, pigeons have been a big part of their learning to read. Um, and, but, you know, the, the parameters, and and this kind of goes into what you were saying before about um the importance of of text design and the internal designs as well like these books that are you know full of words and illustrations they need to be kind of like done just right there are lots of rules in place when you're writing junior fiction and publishing them um, the way that that we are um to make sure that you know you're that the um the stories are sophisticated enough that the language is um, at the right reading level, um, that the um, the stakes are right, that the story doesn't kind of flag in the middle or or not or or kind of have problems getting from one bit to the next bit, um, and uh, and kind of doing it all in like a very kind of limited amount of space as well. Mm. Um, and I remember when I was starting out working on Real Pigeons, I was like, okay, my sentences are not going to be any longer than ten words mm. uh, because you know long, sentences longer than that. Um, are going to trip up the reader and you know every every word choice is really important as well as you know the way that everything looks and so um, sometimes sometimes I'm thinking about this really proactively you know what what the book's going to be like for the kid the end user actually using it actually reading it and enjoying it hopefully um, and and sometimes I think maybe the more you do it the more instinctive it does become um, yeah and maybe even the other way, I think, you know, when I started working on Real Pigeons, I wasn't thinking about kids as much. I, le- I learned a lot from Ben and Hardy Grant and Christy mm. um, and probably then started thinking about it heaps and have maybe now settled down, you know, 10 books in into just, you know, it's it's instinctive, but also I'm, you know, actively thinking about it. Do you think about the end the end user, the kids reading the books absolutely. as you're designing them, as yep. you're writing and illustrating? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, even to the point where... As we've mentioned, we've talked about the first two books. The first one's at a water park because basically it doesn't get any simpler than this. Kids love water parks, right? Yeah. The second one is at the Motorbike Grand Prix. Why? Because kids love fast cars and fast bikes and all that sort of stuff, you know? Um, so definitely every decision I make, and I, I guess a bit like yourself, every decision I make goes through that filter. You know, would a young me love that? Would kids I know love that? Would my girls love that? And and interesting, we talk about... Um, 
what kids love in books because my girls who love the real pigeons as you know um what they love a lot about uh all the things you've created speaking of coming up with stuff that kids love is the wacky side characters too two of their mm. favorites one's a yeah. brand new one Sluggy yeah. Sluggy. <laughs> oh yeah Sluggy Sluggy. and then an all-time favorite would have to be trent the stick yeah <laughs> or the twig i'm not sure what his yeah. official title is is he a stick or a twig He's a, he's a twig and he's Rock Pigeon, uh, Rock Pigeon's favourite thing to carry around. Um, I mean, pigeons and twigs go together naturally, but Trent is basically an extension of Rock's kind of like very loud, kind of master of disguise, loves dressing up personality. Um, and and Trent doesn't, the hilarious thing about it, I, I we love Trent as well. We, we really kind of fell in love with Trent when Trent came in in, in book two. Uh, Trent doesn't have a mouth. He doesn't talk. We never pretend in the books that Trent um, kind of like has an internal life or an internal <laughs> monologue. Trent is always just a twig. <laughs> <laughs> and yet we've like told jokes about Trent and, and the, Trent the twig for like nine books now. Um, I'm, I'm so pleased to hear that the girls love Trent. And and Sliggy Sluggy is, Sliggy Sluggy is on the cover of um, Real Pigeon Stay Coo. Uh, and Sliggy Sluggy uh, is called Sliggy Sluggy because that's all Sliggy Sluggy says. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. I love it. But it's the way Sliggy Sluggy says it, you know? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You, you can, can tell what yeah. he means. <laughs> and, I mean, that's a perfect example. I was thinking about the way that kids would read that, but also how Sliggy Sluggy's dialogue might be performed either by a kid or a parent reading mm. with the kid as well when I was writing Sliggy Sluggy into the story. And, you know, sometimes it's, Sluggy sluggy. And sometimes it's a protest. Sluggy sluggy. <laughs> and hopefully when 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 people are reading Real Pigeons book 10 and they come across Sluggy Sluggy, they'll they'll know from all the context clues the way that Sluggy Sluggy's lines should be delivered. Um absolutely. Yeah, I take all the cues from the expressions and the size of the text. And uh yes, I whatever Sluggy Sluggy says, um <laughs> however Sluggy Sluggy says it, that's exactly how I say it when I'm reading it reading it aloud now your kids are a little bit younger than mine but have you have you run any real pigeons by them have, do they are they sort of aware of the pigeons and do they do they have one of those little i've got one of those little soft toy homies in fact my girls have got a little soft toy homie uh, have they got that sort of stuff are they into it yeah they I, my my kids are three and one so they're a little bit younger they're not quite not quite there but they like <laughs> so yes they like the little homie bag tags yep. um the little soft toy bag tags that we have. So they they carry them around and they, the oldest one knows about homie. Um, uh, he's not, he's not the only one who um, has homie as his favorite. He knows about homie. So they're basically just the homie books for him. Um, but what they, what they love doing most of all, I have these um, big kind of foam core cutouts, 2d kind of pictures of all of the real pigeons that we take to bookshops and schools sometimes um and they're they're really great because they're they're quite big and they're in my um they're in my uh cupboard in my bedroom and they are constantly being taken out by both of the kids um because they just like want to play with the big homie or they want to play with the big frillback um which is uh and of course i'm always like kind of torn because there's part of me that's like oh you love you love our pigeons i'm so i'm so proud and pleased by that but there's also the other part of me, which is like, don't touch that. That's a marketing prop. You're going to damage it. Quick, give it back. Give it back. But also have a quick cuddle if you want. Yeah, have a quick cuddle. That's fine. Have a cuddle. I know. It's homie. Squeeze him. <laughs> have a very gentle, gentle cuddle. Yes, that's right. <laughs> um, did your, Given that your kids are a little bit older, were they, were they 
um, I mean, obviously we love our kids, but were they also kind of like editorially useful? Yes. Oh, yes, absolutely. Uh, more so, uh, uh, less about the story because I, 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 I wanted to keep the, they, the, the, ultimately they find out a lot about what's going to happen in the story because they see the pictures, but I wanted to sort of keep the story slightly separate from them because so, they are at the right age that they could enjoy the story. So I felt like I don't want to spoil it for them, but, um, I run a lot of the pictures by them. I basically say, you know, stuff like, does that look like water? I can't draw water. <laughs> and they're like, yeah, that looks like water. <laughs> um, or no, dad, that doesn't look like water at all. I don't know what that is. Um, <laughs> this probably drives them bananas. But I will show them um, my screen and I'll say, hey, could you just describe to me what you're seeing here? <laughs> and like, oh, dad. It's a cat and he's on a bike. And he's doing a jump. I said, "Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tell me more. Tell me more, because I don't want to lead the witness." So there's a lot of there's a lot of them just naming stuff, which they are so over by now. But um, I just want to check that it's all looking how it's meant to look. And so they're very, very helpful with the process. But also, I know what they like. You know, um, I know that they like lots of silly um, jokes, and I know that they like lots of action, and I know that they like um, characters that are pretty extreme and all that sort of stuff because. Obviously, we read a lot with the girls um, and I know which books resonate with them. And so um, definitely what they like in books and what they like in stories and things like that is definitely a factor in what I put into my books. Who's who's their favourite character in Furball? They actually have different favourites, um, which is interesting. My eldest likes Furball because she <laughs> likes the way that he's kind of reluctant to spring into action, shall we say, um, uh, to save the world. You know, he'd rather just sort of have a bit of a nap and and uh, chomp on some sort of fish snack. Um, so mm. she likes kind of that sort of attitude. But my youngest being a little bit more bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, she loves Kit because Kit comes up with all mm. the gadgets and Kit's got a very sunny disposition. Whenever anything's going wrong, even though Kit's a bit of a scaredy cat, Kit definitely thinks that um, everyone is trying their best and we're all going to get along together and we're going to so save the world together, hopefully, even though he gets a bit worried about these things. So, um, but also, I mean, uh, she likes him because he's the cutest. Like he's, he's yeah, he's got the big round schnoz and the and the little yeah. little belly. So she likes that. She thinks he's pretty cute. So um, I reckon of, of the three, uh, if there was ever a little soft toy, I could definitely see her gravitating straight to the kit soft toy and, you know, squeezing his tummy and he says something like, um, you know, trembling tuna cakes or something like that. <laughs> she would love very, that. <laughs> very Captain Haddock. And and Kit appears in a banana costume on the very first page. So there's already like you know, reasons for Kit to be our favourite character. Absolutely. Um, and, and it's so silly. And I, I think I, I do want to touch on this before we wind up because the thing that I really appreciate about it appreciate about Furball and that I love about um, the kind of the trend of like all these wonderful um, junior fiction series coming out that are so highly illustrated is that it kind of, there's so much silliness now on the shelves for kids and silliness um, and weirdness and oddness um, <laughs> kind of paired with like, kind of like, kind of, I want to say serious um, kind of dramatic stakes, but serious is the wrong word, but like, you know, stories where, you know, something is at stake and it's important and the the, the drama of it is real paired with the silliness mm. that you get in in Real Pigeons and Furball and, and books like Treehouse as well um, and, and Bad Guys, of course. Um, it's, 
and I feel like I, I was thinking about this before, like, you know, you, you can't just be silly. You can't just be like completely weird without reason. Like there's got to be rules for it. And, you know, the, the rules of the world kind of like will help you kind of keep things silly, but not ridiculous, not jumping the shark. Hmm. Um, but I I feel like when you can put a story in front of a kid and it's going to be silly, but it's also going to have kind of um, real kind of um, dramatic um, arc kind of attached to it and and you know characters who kind of like have something at stake and something to prove or something to overcome um you're you're kind of meeting kids halfway and being like we know you like silly you're really good at being silly but we know you also love stories Mm. um and and you love stories where you know there's there's important things to kind of work through and get and get through um and I, i feel like it's kind of treating kids with um, a lot of respect in a, in a way, like kids that age, kind of like, you know, six, seven, eight year old kids um, who, who they want, they want good stories, but they're also like really willing to kind of like get down in the silly weeds and, and be ridiculous. <laughs> mm. And I feel, I feel like um, Furball does that really well. Is that something that was, um, did you do that on purpose or does it, is that just the way that you naturally write? Yeah. <laughs> uh... I am. I can be fairly silly if I'm uh, I'm let off the leash. So no, um, <laughs> no, I don't believe it for a second. <laughs> so, so it's kind of a natural a natural aspect to to me. But um, look, I think sometimes I think you're absolutely right. Kids live in this. They love the silliness. They embrace silliness. They think it's well, everything silly is hilarious to them. If you and you and I do a lot of school visits, we meet a lot of kids, and all their suggestions are often really really wacky and silly. You know, so you you put, ask anytime they put a, their hand up they're going to say something like, oh, a sausage with eyes and it flies off into space and explodes. You know, they'll say the most weirdest, wackiest, zaniest stuff, which is awesome. Um, So I think they know that they like silly. I think they think to themselves, I want something silly and funny, right? But what maybe they don't conceptually know is they also want a good story, you know? But they don't necessarily, if you had on the front page of a book, you said, this is a great story with high stakes and lots of stuff happens. They probably wouldn't pick it up. I don't know. But if you lead with the silly and then provide them with, you know, a fun story uh, underneath that veneer of silliness, um, hopefully you're ticking both boxes and they're enjoying it for there's there's lots lots of fun, lots of laughs, um, lots of wackiness. But they're also going along for the ride with you, like with the pigeons, with the mystery. There's always a complicated mystery that they're solving solving right so you know and you've got to write three a book which is no easy task (laughs) but um you know it's got that it's it's all packaged as a silly fun adventure but then you've got that well-written story underneath and oh look that is definitely what i am aiming for and it's definitely what you guys definitely achieve in the real pigeons and hopefully that is why uh kids are embracing these books and picking them up and enjoying them yeah and i think that um, you know when you've struck gold with um, something that's uh, going to be silly or weird in a story, but is also going to act as a bit of a narrative driver. Like when you have something that kind of does both, mm. then you're like, wow, that's a, and when you realize it, of course, you're like, wow, okay, let's, that's a, that's a really energizing moment as a writer when you kind of work out, oh, this funny thing that I want to do, it's also going to be narratively really important mm. and kind of integral to like how everything kind of moves forward in the story. That, that's, a, that's a cool moment. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, now, speaking of cool moments, you have got to the moment where you have released 10 Real Pigeons books, double figures, which is amazing. So congratulations to you and Ben. It's an incredible achievement and it's going through the roof. Uh, what's next for the pigeons? I mean, are we just going to, I mean, hopefully we'll keep just more pigeons will be flying into the shops <laughs> and into the libraries for many years to come. Do you have a bit of a, a plan as to what the next steps are? 
Uh, at the moment, the plan is to finish writing book 11, which comes out <laughs> next year. Yes. Um, I'm kind of right in the middle of writing that at the moment. Okay. So that's um, kind of dominating my thought processes right now. Um, and there'll be, and there'll be some more pigeons after that as well. Um, it's, it's not something that I kind of even really understood would have so kind of such great legs when I first started working on real pigeons. I kind of, my feeling back then probably would have been, oh, we'll be able to do this for a couple of books. And then, you know, the novelty of pigeons will wear off. But that Adrian, the truth is that I keep getting inspired by hearing different stories and learning new things about <laughs> pigeons. Like they are way, they're way more three-dimensional than I ever realized. What, what, what is way more than like four-dimensional, five-dimensional? That's right. Million-dimensional <laughs> characters, the pigeons. Um, there's definitely there's definitely more story to tell in in the real pigeons universe. I love it. Um, I love it. And, <laughs> and 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 one of the interesting things about writing the series up to book kind of ten and eleven is that we've kind of we've moved through a few kind of like big arcs which have kind of gone for two or three books. You know, each each book is designed to be both an entry point for new readers, but also work as a bigger whole. Um, and it's been it's been really interesting. I, I feel like I've learned a lot as I've been writing the series and kind of building it up and you know, making the universe kind of more and more um just just broad just broader and and different characters and kind of getting into some other characters and having a bit more time to kind of like focus on some of the, you know, characters that weren't in the um headlights at the very start of the story. And 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 also working out because when we wrote that first Real Pigeons book. It was just kind of like it was one book, and then I was like, okay, what are we going to do for book two? And I, I'd be interested to know if you've kind of had these thought processes as well, Adrian, where you're like, okay, so what is a real pigeons book, or what is a furball book? What mm. has to happen in every single book in the series? What has to be different so that we're always mixing things up and entertaining ourselves, but also readers who are mm. coming through the series? Um, and like, are you have you did you know the answers to some of those questions before you even started on furball book number one? Some, yes, but some, no. And I think when you're doing number one, you're creating, not only are you creating the world, you're also creating, uh, even if you're not specifically writing it down, you're creating a Bible of sorts, a guide of mm. sorts. Um, and I now know that each adventure is going to start with a little mini mission, you know, um, a little bit like the famous James Bond films of the past where they would start, you'd find him in the middle of a mission and then the credits would happen. And then the, the main story starts after that. It's kind of uh, chapter one's always going to be blow out on in furballs because they're always going to be in a little bit of a mini mission. Um, and uh, you kind of work that out by uh, coming up with the first book and then taking a step back and thinking, okay, well, that worked, that got us from there to there. And then we know that we know we need this, we know we need that. And so I think you're kind of coming up with a structure when you come up with your first book. Um, and then it's not till you step back and think, okay, I'm going to do book two now. You think to yourself, okay, well, yes. How did I sort of devise the concept that is furball into a book and, and what does that mean and how do I move forward? So it's interesting you say that because I think some of it you do consciously and some of it you sort of do through trial and error. Yeah. I remember one of the big decisions that we had to make early on was, uh, is it always going to be the same characters over and over again in each Real Pigeons book or will we introduce new characters uh, with each book? And um, that the, it would have been a really different series if we had just, just stuck with uh, the characters in book one throughout the series. Yeah. Um, are there new characters? Are you designing new cats at the moment? <laughs> I am. There's always going to be a new baddie unless we did some sort of 
broke the mold at some point and decided we'd bring them all back for one, you know, massive event. Um, but there's always going to be new baddies and there'll often be one or two, uh, you know, sort of like sliggy sluggy, uh, you know, yeah. guest appearances by um, characters that sort of come in and out whenever they're needed. So there's the core group, I guess, um, the the trio, Jade, Kit and Furball, and they're the, they're the stars of the show. So they'll continue all the way through like the real pigeons. Um, but yes, there'll be a couple of other cats that come in and out, including a rather um <laughs> a rather heroic cat which we'll meet in book three um who may not be uh all he's cracked up to be <laughs> so Ooh, i can tell that that's a pun and a clue but i'm, I'm still not sure <laughs> I know. where it's leading the, that's the funny thing it's the the only person would know is me so i don't even know why i said that but um that, that you're gonna love be... this podcast when you yeah. listen to it <laughs> that's right i'm gonna think wow that was clever well done <laughs> Hey, Andrew, thanks so much for sharing your time for the Words and Nerds audience um, and being part of this takeover episode. And we love, everyone loves Stay Coo, Real Pigeons, uh, episode 10. I reckon, you know, the pigeons and Furball, they would both slot nicely together into a, into a Christmas stocking, don't you think? They're just almost the right size. Yeah, exactly. And because they've both got front and back covers, they're together. But importantly, we're keeping the pigeons and the cats just separate, separated <laughs> just a little bit. Yes, a couple right. of strips of cardboard. We do not want to put a cat amongst the pigeons. That's the last <laughs> thing we want to do. Hey, Andrew, thanks for joining us today on Words and Nerds. And, uh, yeah, good luck with book 10. It's going through the roof. And get book 11 written as soon as you can so that Ben can come in and do his work. And we've got even more pigeons next year. Thanks, Adrian. And good luck with Furball. Can't wait to see those motorcycle scenes. <laughs> thanks, Andrew. See you later. Bye. Bye.